Good morning, family. My name is Pete, and what an amazing privilege it is this morning to, to minister and to share in this beautiful topic of Kintsuki, the word that none of us know how to pronounce, but the beautiful picture that God takes something that became broken and restores it and creates something of even greater value in our lives and in our homes so that we can be vessels for Him. I absolutely love that picture. I also love the fact that this morning I get to minister to you about your hearts. This morning we're going to be ministering on parenting and God's heart for parenting. But what is truly wonderful about that is that it's actually about the heart. This morning we're going to be talking about the heart of the father, the heart of the parent, and the heart of the child. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament finishes with a verse that says, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the children to their fathers, that I may come and strike the land with utter destruction. In essence, the Bible tells us all the time that God is after our hearts. What an exciting, what a challenging moment. And I want to say to you, I'm excited to go on this journey with us this morning. Secondly, I want to say to you that the heart is really an elusive part of our lives. I know that over this period for parenting, for many of us, it's been magnified. Our, our good points, our challenging points, all of it has been challenged over this time of lockdown. I also want to tell you that before I was a parent, I was a husband. And before I was a husband, I was a son. And this morning, the parenting journey speaks to all of us, whether we be parents, whether we be sons or daughters. Parenting is applicable to every single one of us here today. Now, I don't know if you remember, I'm going to give my age away here, but in the times when I was young, we had cameras. And the cameras themselves had little eye lenses behind them. And inside that that camera, you would put film. And that film was either 24 or 36 photos. And those photos you would take. Now, there was pros to this. The pros was that you would only really have one photo per family function. The cons were that you didn't know if it was a good photo or a bad photo. On the back of your camera, there was no display screen telling you whether the photo was in focus or out of focus. And so often we would take a photo and kind of hope for the best. And a couple of weeks later, we'd go to the the Photoshop and we'd send in our film and maybe an hour later we'd get 24 jumbo prints back. And inevitably, out of the 24 prints, 12 of them would be an absolute disaster. They'd be out of focus, they would be, your eyes would be closed, you'd be looking to sneeze, um, someone would be walking out the camera, someone would be changing the angle, and you never knew that what was going to come up. And so most of us would take those 10 terrible photos and just throw them in the bin. But my cousin actually collected those photos. And she put them in a book. The book was called The Spaz Book. And one of the things that was so classic about this book, it was the most looked at book in the home. And it created such a sense of joy in the photos because they weren't perfect. And behind every imperfect photo, there was something amazing that said, oh, do you remember this? And your eyes were closed. And, and that's so funny. I think so often in our modern world, everything is perfect. We have the social media families where they're all smiling and looking at the camera. And so often in our lives, we want to ascribe to that look where everything looks perfect. 
This morning, I want to say to you, our lives are a lot more like that photo album of my cousins where things are out of focus. Your eyes are closed when the photo was taken. But in that, there's beauty. And in that imperfection, God can do something amazing. And in that almost brokenness, God can restore it. So collect those photos. Maybe post some photos that aren't perfect, showing that you are real and that God can do anything through you. I also want to take us back quickly to 2019. It feels like an extremely long time ago, 2019. It actually wasn't. Um, but in November 2019, you will all probably remember where you were. In November 2019, there was a team that was led by a courageous captain, an extremely astute coach, a dedicated bunch of players, and a nation that was hoping for restoration. On the 3rd of November at Yokohama Stadium, the Springboks lifted the William Webberless Trophy and became world champions. It was a wonderful moment for us as South Africans. Another moment that was really inspiring for me was in February this year, where there's an international sports awards called the Laureus Sports Awards. And it recognizes sports men and women and teams from every sporting code around the world. And it celebrates those that are the best in, this, in their field. And the three most prestigious prizes are probably those of the best male player, the best female, and the best team of the year. And yes, you guessed it, the Springboks won the team of the year. What was wonderful about that moment was they received the trophy. And Sia and a, and a group of his players came on stage. And they almost had to coax Sia into accepting the award. And straight away he, he said, I want to thank the heritage from where this came. I want to thank Nelson Mandela for his legacy. He looked back into his history and he said, thank you. Thank you to those who came before me for what you've done. He then turned and looked at his players. And he acknowledged each of his players that were on the stage. And he said things like, Cheslin, you've had to overcome so many things. You were small, but look at you now. You are a giant in the game. He looked at Francois Lowe and he said, Francois, you come from a rich rugby heritage, but you've had to overcome your own things. And here you are, a world champion. And then a part that stood out to me was he then looked out at every sports person. And he said to him, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to keep doing what you love. Keep doing what you're doing because it's not just about you. There are people looking at you and we really touch people's lives in ways that governments can't do and politicians can't do. You can touch and change a kid's life. Sia Khaleesi was saying something that we see echoed in the Bible that keep doing parents what you're doing because somebody's watching you. And it's not for your glory, it's for his glory, for the king's glory. And so this morning as we dive into scripture, I would like to throw any parent here Something that you can probably relate to. It's that moment where you say to your kids, I'm counting to three. One, two, I'm sending you to your room. Three, I'm going to take away your screen time. And we threaten with our one, two, three, you're getting sent to your room. And this morning, I'd like to say to us, God is also counting to three for us. And I want to pick out three aspects of parenting from God's word. The first is that there's the heart of the father that we need to understand in parenting. The second is that we need to understand God's heart for us as parents. 
And the third is that God has a heart for his children and our hearts for children. And so much like everything else in God's word is that it's a little bit countercultural. And so we're not going to start with one. We're going to start with two. And no, we're not getting sent to our room. We're getting called by God the Father to the throne room to spend time with God the Father to understand how he loves us and wants to parent us. I hope you're ready to come with me. The first one I want to talk about is the heart of the Father. This is probably the greatest story, the greatest love story, the greatest parenting story in all of history. It's the story of God the Father who loves us so very much that he created the earth and everything in it. And then he sent his son to the earth to die for us so that we could have a relationship, a father-son, father-daughter relationship with him, with God the Father. We can have a relationship. What an amazing blessing and heritage that is. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is walking the earth, we see three accounts where God the Father speaks out of heaven to his Son. Today, we're going to look at two of those. The first is where Jesus is going to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. Now, to this point, Jesus has not yet fulfilled any of his public ministries. He is known as Jesus of Nazareth or Joseph and Mary's son. He's known as Jesus, that guy. Not as Jesus the Messiah. He's just known as Jesus from Nazareth. John recognizes who he is and he's like, I've been preparing a way for this man. And Jesus goes and gets baptized in the river and we're going to pick it up in Matthew 3 verse 16. It's on the screen. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and the spirit of God descended like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. I love this moment in the Bible because God the Father is breaking out of heaven before his son has done any public works of ministry. And he's affirming him and saying, I'm going to affirm who you are, your character. I'm going to affirm the person that you've been created to be before your action. As parents, the heart of God the Father is saying, I love you. You are my beloved. I affirm who you are before you do anything for me. I want you to know that you are loved and you're accepted and that there's affirmation in him. God the Father is so beautiful in how he affirms us as his children. The second time we, we see God the Father speaking to, to his son is on the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's in Matthew 17, so if you want to turn there while I'm going, it'd be great. And in that, in that passage of Scripture, Jesus has now gone up to the mount with his three closest disciples. And they go up onto the mountain, and, and, and almost the presence of God, it, it descends on Jesus, and, and he, it says he is, he is ablaze with God. And they see pictures of Old Testament prophets, and, and Peter, typical Peter, is like, well, should we, should, we, should we make something? Should we, should we create a statue for Peter and for, for Moses and Elijah? And God inter interjects and he says again, he says, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
listen to him. Again, God the Father is affirming the character of his son. And he's saying, this is my beloved son. This is the son who I love, who I am proud of. This is the son in my own image. And then it says something beautiful. It says, listen to him. And it's confirming his calling over and over again. I also love the fact that he did this. God the Father didn't have to do this in public, but he did it with those who were closest to Jesus. He was giving him just that sense of confirmation in his calling and his character of who he was. How special is that? Now, personally, over the last year, my wife and I have gone through a really interesting journey. Last year, 2019, we actually packed up and moved uh, just on 12 times. And I decided to go into a new, a new realm of, of, of life. And I moved out of the business world into education. And what was amazing is a lot of the titles that I didn't think were important were suddenly very important to me. And they slowly got stripped away. And it was the, all of the things which you don't think are holding you, they actually hold you. And I had to get to that point where I got before God the Father and I said, am I your son? And he said, yes, you're my son. And at a confirmation level, this is what we need. We need the heart of the Father to tell us that our true identity is not in what we do. It's in who he's created us to be. Is that a son of the Most High? What an amazing thing when we understand the heart of the Father, that He gave everything so that He could have a relationship with us. So that's the first one, is that the heart of the Father is there chasing after you. The second is the heart of the parent. Now, this is a part of your Bible I'd love you to take out and highlight and color in, photocopy and stick up on your fridge, because it's one of those that just speaks so much about God's goodness in terms of how he helps us in these times. In your Bibles, if you could turn to Psalm 127, it'll be up on, on the screen now, and I'm going to read it. It's a song of Solomon, and it says the following, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and you stay up late toiling for food to eat, but he grants sleep to those that he loves. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame they, when they contend with the enemies at the gate. This is a psalm which tells us how to build our houses and our families. And we're going to look at the three principles of, that God has taught us from this psalm in one, Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is, is so apt for us through the journey of our lives because it talks to us in every season of our life. It's not only to us raising children, it's to us building our homes, it's us building our lives, it's to us building something that is of meaning and of value. And again, this is a heart matter. So the first principle I want to say to you is that, principle number one that God says is that the Lord builds, but we labor. The Lord builds the house, but we get to labor with Him in building that house. I want to read to you out of um, my daughter's book that we've kept her ever since she was born. 
This prophecy was given to my daughter when she was probably about a week old from a very good friend of ours. And if it resonates with you, please feel free to use it. But I want, it speaks to us of the co-laboring that we go with God in building what He has created. It says, Hi guys, somewhere between the early hours of dreaming and being awake, I was praying for you and for little Hannah, and I saw such a beautiful picture. You and Katie were standing in a field, a big open field with no fences and no boundaries, and as far as the eye could see, you were both dirty, dirty as anything, mud under your fingernails, your pants were rolled up, and the sweat was dripping off your foreheads, and you were planting flowers one by one, row after row of these little bulbs of nothing. The more you labored, the more you sang and chatted to each other, and you planted, planted, planted. And every hoe you dug and every bulb you put in was as though it was the first one that you did for that day. The flowers started to come out, out of the ground as you worked, and slowly but surely, one flower after another started to open up. And as you went, dirty as anything, with sweat on your brows and your pants rolled up, and planting, planting, planting. The field was transformed into a blanket of the most incredible color. I don't know if you can attribute nouns to colors, but this was a soft and inviting and swaying backwards and forwards in the wind. You could see each flower dancing independently, but together they gave an illusion of a yellow ocean with a huge swell moving up and down. This sea of brilliant yellow moved up and down and carried the wind on the crest of its waves. Your work, getting dirty and tired and sweating away day in and day out, is just like that. Every flower that wakes up to the world is your planting seeds into little Hannah's life. Slowly but surely, you guys are planting something incredible into her life so that her life can be that yellow ocean carrying the Holy Spirit. Marketing gurus talk about innovation as a blue ocean idea. The idea is that it's so innovative and so immense and so expansive that it blows other competitors out of the water. You see, Hannah's life and the work that you guys are doing now and every day for the rest of your lives is a yellow ocean faith. Greater than anything you or us have ever seen, something only he could have dreamt up, something improbable, even impossible. Every day a battle, but one day a yellow ocean of faith. You see, this principle tells us that God will build the house, but we have to intentionally work at it. For Kate and I, this was such a apt prophecy because there were days, and there still are days, almost weekly, daily, where we're planting and we almost can be planting in the wrong places. And every day we have to, on purpose, plant what God wants into our children's lives, into our own lives. We intentionally roll up our sleeves and say, God, we are going to labor with you because we believe the ocean of flowers that you're creating is for your glory and that the Holy Spirit can then move upon it. Are our kids perfect? Absolutely not. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. Is God perfect? Yes. And so we trust him as we labor with him that that which we are planting will be for his glory and for the goodness that he needs. The second principle that we see in that psalm is that the Lord watches over the city, but that we are the watchmen. We can't delegate this responsibility, God. We can't say, God, well, you know, our kids are in your care. He's actually charged us as parents and as people to be watchmen over what we put into our own lives. What comes into our eyes, what comes into our mouth, what comes into our ears, 
what we're watching, what, we, what we're spending our time with, who we're spending our time with. And as a watchman, it really is a great responsibility that we get to say, well, God's given me a view of your life and I'm trusting him that we know what's good for you. And we're not trying to be controlling, but for your heart, we want to ensure that what comes in to your, into your soul is that which would nourish and that which would sustain. In this day and age, there are so many things that are being thrown at our children. And it's up to us to be watchmen on the tower to know that what goes into our kids will be that which edifies and builds, that which brings out the best, the God-given character within our children. The third principle that God speaks about in Psalm 127 for, for parents is this. It says that we toil, but the Lord gives rest. Parenting is, <laughs> parenting is an amazing thing because you need to give everything. It's very much like what Pierre spoke about last week, that marriage costs us so much because we have to sacrificially give. Our children will never understand how much we're giving until one day they have their own children. Until that point, it's not a fair balance. And therefore we give and we toil and we work hard and we invest and we give and we give. But what is wonderful about this is God says, but he will give us rest. He will help us in these times because when we put our priorities right, he allows us to sleep. That the toil is not in vain. The, the toil is for, for a great purpose. Now for us and our family, one of the, the keys for us is to have value-based decisions. And one of these simple ones is that we want to spend time as a family together. And so in the busyness of life, we, we set aside time to be a family. And every weekend, we, we carve out time to be the five of us. Now, are there things that want to come against us and steal that time? Absolutely. But we need to say this is a value that we want. We need to toil at setting this aside. And then we will rest in it. Kids often want to be with their friends and be busy. But we need to say this is, this is a priority that God has placed in our lives. So those are the three principles that God has set out in 127. But he also gives three promises. He says this of our children. He says that our children are a heritage. Our children are our heritage, our children are an arrow, and our children are a blessing. A heritage and a reward tells us that no, they're not a penalty. They're not, they're not something that, that, is, that is something that is hard. It's something that is a reward and that we get to pay forward. A heritage is something we don't even deserve half the time. It's something that is greater than we could ever imagine. And so your heritage is your kids. I love the fact that I am no longer known as just John and Rona's son. That's a wonderful thing to be known as. I'm also not known as Kate's husband only, although that is a wonderful thing to be known as. But I'm now known as Hannah, James, and Benji's dad. And when I go somewhere, I, I'm known by that. And that's my heritage, that these kids are a heritage. Secondly, it says that our children will be an arrow. And that means that the arrow is going to get shot out at some point and it's going to hit a mark that God has created them to hit. And that mark is so specific for them. And so we're training them up for that moment where they get released into their destiny. And God has created you as the perfect parents for your child 
for that moment where they get released into their calling that God has created for them. So never stop making sure your arrow is sharp and ready. If your kid is two, it's probably not going to go out at this moment. If your child is kind of finished school and university, it may be getting to that time where they're going to be shot out into the destiny that God has called for them. But be ready to release them into what God has. And finally, it says that our children are a blessing. A blessing. I love that, that word. It's sometimes way overused in Christian circles. But blessing really means that they are something that we can enjoy and that it's a gift from God. I know that there are days in lockdown that that's not the word you would use to describe your children. But they really are a blessing. And they're a legacy. On my folks' fridge, there's a, there's a sticker that says, if, if I'd known grandchildren were this much fun, I would have had them first. But that's not what the Bible says. It says our children are a blessing, and so we want to enjoy them for all the seasons and all the days that we have with them. Enjoy them when they're young. Enjoy them when they are teenagers. Enjoy them when they're old. You can enjoy them as friends all the days of your lives. So we've spoken about the heart of the father, the heart of the parent, and I want to now talk about the heart of the child. You see, Jesus always wanted the kids to come to him. And I love that picture that says, Jesus says, let the little children come. But I want to take a little angle from John, who was one of Jesus' most loved disciples. And right at the end of the Bible, in 3 John, it's, if, you, if you open it in your Bible, it's probably only one, one page, the whole of 3 John. And John at this point is, is a grandfather in the faith. This is somebody that if you wanted to have dinner with anybody, he's probably your guy. And in this last bit of his letter, he says the following. He says, I have no greater joy than this, than to see my children walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, than to see my children walk in the truth. As a parent, there will be no greater joy than to see our children step into the destiny that God has created for them. But it also says to me that there's two parts to this, that there's a hunger in every child for truth and there's a hunger in every child for adventure or for joy. And so we need to make sure that we are exposing our kids to the truth of God in the way that we live it and read it and share it and encourage it in them and that we're making the joy of the Lord evident to them that actually serving God is full of joy and that it's, a, it's an adventure with God and that our lives with God are, are awesome and that without it, we're, we're all at sea. And so inside the kids, there's that hunger for His truth and there's a, the joy of it as well. And so let's, inside of, the, when we speak to our children and when we act as a child, let's see the joy of the Lord again and let's see the truth being something that we want to put into our lives every day in how we speak, in what we read, in what we listen to, in the, the meditation of our hearts and the words of our mouths. And so God has given us this picture of, of a heavenly Father who loves us so much. He's given us ways to, to speak to our hearts as parents. <clears throat> He's also spoken to us in the hearts of a child. And so I want to read the last bit is, is out of Romans. Romans chapter 8. And if you can turn with me there. Romans 8 verses 15 to 17. It says the following. It says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, 
Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed that we share in His suffering, in order that we may also receive a share in His glory. This morning, you are a child of God and He wants to have relationship with you. You are also someone He wants to partner with in this journey called parenting. And you are a son who is raising sons. And this morning as, as we close out, I would like to say I want to pray for two aspects. The first thing I want to pray for is, is those people who are listening today where your earthly parents was not this kind of example. You don't have a great picture of God the Father because your picture is a bit like the Kintsuki bowl, but it's, it's broken. And God wants to start putting the gold back in again to give you the picture of safety that He wants to hold you as a father. And the second picture I want to give is that you might be a parent and you have children and you're saying, I'm not living this. I'm not being the kind of parent God wants me to be. And I want to say to you again that the bowl God has created and given to you isn't perfect. It's like that photo, but with God, we can start to put it all back together again and live and hold our children in the way God wanted us to do it. So won't you join with me as we pray? And I want to trust that in your home right now, you would feel the acceptance of being a son and you would feel the love of the Father. I would also want you to feel that God is equipping you as a parent to impart all that He wants into your children. Remember, God is not sending you to your room today. God is calling you into the throne room of His grace. He loves you. He knows that you're His precious, precious child and He wants to partner with you in raising your children. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning, Lord, that we get to get a little glimpse, Father, of the, the goodness and the Father heart of God. This morning, Lord God, I pray for every home. I pray for every person in a home, Lord God, who has a, a warped view of what a father or a mother is. And I pray, Lord Jesus, right now that you would reveal the goodness of Father God to them. A Father God who is willing to break out of heaven and say, you're my beloved child in who I am well pleased. I pray, Father God, for affirmation and confirmation to be spoken over the hearts and the lives of the men, women, and children listening to this this morning, Lord Jesus. And secondly, Father God, I pray for every family, Father God. I pray for every parent who is seeking to, to be a role model to those children around them. I pray, Father God, that they would look to you that they would spend time in your word, Father God, knowing, Lord God, that you equip them, you establish them, Father God, and you, you empower them, Father, to raise children in whom, Father God, there is no greater joy than to see them walking in the truth. I pray, Father God, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would see this, we would see families rise up, Father God, and experience your amazing bringing together power of family, of parenting, as we seek the hearts of heart, the Father God and of our children. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be blessed, family. Have a wonderful week. And may you experience God's goodness and grace in your time this week.